Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. As always, very happy to have you back. My name is Spencer Pollock, cybersecurity attorney of Whiteford, Taylor, and Preston. Keep those questions, comments, calls coming. Call me at uh, 410-917-5189 or email me at spollock, that's P as in Paul, O-L-L-O-C-K at WTPlaw.com. Excited to be back. We, uh, I got I actually got a lot of great comments um, about two weeks ago from a listener, and I wanted to address that and also talk about a recent article I read about a unique idea to counter ransomware. Um, so the first part was the comment in a, a recent podcast, um, and the listener made a really good point that I hammer the government, I hammer how to how companies really need to prepare and mitigate, but neglect the purpose behind the laws, these cyber laws, protect how, you know, the purpose is to protect people. And I did, I thought that was a really fair, um, good point. So let's do a quick backdrop about why we have laws, why we are a society of law, um, other than to keep us from our barbaric, you know, ancestors. So we create laws because we identify threats. Um, there's a bunch of reasons laws created, but one of the primary reasons, in my opinion, is that we identify a threat. We identify that something is harming individuals or citizens. Um, we have speeding laws because we figured out that when cars go too fast, they can cause harm to people. Um, so we want drivers to slow down. So when we identify a threat, when we identify a harm, the government then acts. They create a law that's there to protect people, right? Protect people from this harm. So the laws are there to deter bad conduct and then ultimately punish. So once again, I gave you the speeding example. You know, another example is uh, robbing or assault. Assault or um, breaking and entering. There we go. Uh we don't want people to get attacked. We don't want people to have their houses broken into, right? Because, you know, you're either getting financial harm or physical harm. So what the government did is they created a law saying if you break and enter into someone's house, you attack someone, you're going to be held liable and you're going to have criminal and civil penalties because we wanted to deter and punish because we want to protect people. So now let's use that with the cyber laws. The government... As we've been talking about this whole time, cyber threats are moving incredibly fast, faster than we can keep up with, faster than we understand. So the government saw this and the government, and I'm using government as a very general term because it's state by state, obviously it's country by country. Sometimes it's regulator by regulator. But the government saw this and they saw that it was causing harm to people. And the harm was coming in identity theft, financial harm, ransomware, people being held hostage. Uh, all of these things, they saw their citizens and they saw their companies, commercial entities, being harmed by this. You know, they also saw a national security threat, but let's put that aside. So they saw these harms and then they also started looking into it. And they saw that companies were being too lax about how they were protecting information how they were protecting the information that 
their consumers and individuals, employees were providing them and believing that they were safeguarding. And obviously we've talked about it. Safeguarding is based on reasonableness. And then they saw the harm that was coming from these hack, from these, I won't use the words hackers, from these criminals who were getting in and taking that information and causing identity theft, causing financial harm. And the government basically said, look, this, this is not reasonable. You know, companies, you have to have things in place. You have to have things there to protect that information. With great responsibility comes massive liability. It's a theme here. We are, as companies, are responsible for the information they receive. We as consumers, we as clients, we as patients, we as employees, we expect that if we are giving you that information, that you're going to protect it. That you're also going to give us ways that we can access it, that we can delete it, that we can modify it, that we can make sure it's correct. Because we want control over our information. I mean, it makes sense. It's my information. I should get to control it. And I should expect that you're going to protect it. So the government created these laws because they want companies to get up to speed. They want companies to put these practical protections in place, you know, based on size, scope, and complexity. And it's not unreasonable because, once again, we want to protect people. We want to protect people from identity theft, from financial harm. Um, So I appreciate that comment, and I hope that addresses that. The second topic today is, I read a recent article about a unique way that we can be counteractive or counter uh, counter ransomware. You know, as you all know, when a ransomware attack occurs and there's encryption, the company is basically held hostage. And you get that message saying, you know, you've been hit, pass X, or we're dumping your data, and you're not going to be able to unlock your systems. They usually ask for a file to decrypt. And I never really thought about it this way. But the premise behind this goes to what the law calls a prejudgment action. A prejudgment action basically says, or prejudgment attachment, sorry. It's where a person seeking a remedy will apply to the court and explain why they think they're entitled to both the damages and a writ of attachment. I.e. they can't wait until the end of the case to get this judgment. So basically, the plaintiff can either take the money from someone's bank account or simply order the bank to be locked so the proceeds don't go anywhere. Now, applying that here, after you're encrypted, the threat group, the criminals will come back and they'll say, you got to get decrypted, come back and talk to us. So then you enter a chat room on the dark web, usually, where they'll provide proofs of life. Maybe it's, I don't know. Do you give them a file and they'll decrypt it? Or they'll give you file trees. But the main point is you're usually at some sort of website. And so the author proposes to for a person, a victim, to go to the court, apply for a pre-judgment attachment in this electronic space, and then somehow being able to lock up that space until the ransomware group identifies themselves. It's an interesting tactic. Uh, and one that I would like to see played out. I don't know how it would work because I think the ransomware group would just ultimately dump the data, but it's still a unique argument. Uh, and I like people thinking outside the box, so I can appreciate that. And that's what we got to keep doing. We got to keep thinking outside the box uh, to counteract these threats. 
So I appreciate everyone coming. Keep those questions, comments call coming. There we go. 410-917-5189 or spollock at wtplaw.com. I uh, look forward to having everyone on the next episode. Thanks. And have a great morning, great afternoon, or great evening.